Hello and welcome back to Parative Radio. Sorry it's been a few months. I'm just busy with things really. I don't know when these will come out sort of in the future. Uh, I used to aim, I think I've said it before, but I used to aim for one a month. But given the fact I'm just working and things, I don't know ever I can do that anymore. And it's also just finding the guests. They're just becoming a bit difficult to do that really. But they'll probably get posted whenever I find sort of find someone to interview and then I just sort of go from there. So if they slow down like quite a bit, um, I'm sorry about that. But yes, in this episode, I speak to a gentleman called Andy Cook, who's kind of a journeyman of the design industry. He's currently the creative director and head of design at BBH London, which is an amazing agency. If you don't know them, give them a Google. And we discuss numerous things, as you can probably guess, from his influences, sort of his really wide expanding career where he jumps around the world loads, his time in education, and also he was briefly a lecturer. And also what the future holds for himself. Um, I hope you enjoy. Again, sorry it's been so long since the last one of these. Um, yeah, enjoy. So yeah, firstly I'll start all these the same. For the people listening that maybe don't have a uh, don't know yourself, can you give them a little bit of a brief rundown as to who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Andy Cook. Um, I'm a designer at heart. Um, currently head of design at BBH London, running the design department there, maybe around 25-ish people, scales up and down as, as we get busier and, and quieter. But um, yeah, running running design at BBH, which is obviously a uh, ad agency, traditional ad agency, and injecting you know some more design-led capabilities here and there, which is fun. Um, but yeah, designer um, in hopefully many different facets of the word. So yeah, you mentioned that you're a designer at heart. Um, jumping back to things before even you're at school or anything like that, can you remember what sort of got things started for yourself? Yeah, I mean, going all the way back, I remember when I was a kid just drawing a lot, drawing pictures and caricatures and cartoons all the way from when I was a little kid. Uh, I actually went around my parents recently and they pulled some stuff out of the loft and there's old drawings of Sonic the Hedgehog and you know, Mario Brothers and all all, all sorts of uh, yeah computer game related cartoons and stuff when I was when I was young and then a lot of football stuff um, as I grew up Manchester United like illustrations of players and the crest and all that kind of stuff and then I guess yeah um, through school I just I'd, I'd be the kid who was drawing on tables um, graffiti in my name and stuff like that and I remember even one lesson. Um, We'd all sat down and just a couple of minutes in, the teacher was writing on the on the whiteboard and she didn't even have to look around. She turned around and she was like, Andrew, stop drawing on the desk because I clearly was already drawing on the desk. So, um, yeah, I was always um, drawing and sketching and before I knew what typography was, always write my name on stuff and always scratching into pencil cases and always had this urge just to leave a mark, I guess. Um, when I was younger, I thought, Oh, I want to be an architect. I didn't really know what that meant either. Um, all I knew is I just wanted to to make things and and create things, and I was always gravitating towards art class and design uh, classes and stuff like that. So, yeah, I guess drawing cartoons got me into into design going all the way back. Jumping forward to your time at uni, you went to Staffs Uni, the one that I've just graduated from uh, myself because I'm from Stoke, sadly. Um, and I understand that you were initially a product designer, so you were on a product design course, and then you switched to graphic design at some point. What sort of spurred the switch for yourself? Yeah, that's right. I mean, through through high school and through um, through college, um, I'm not sure why. I think it might have been 
through teachers not really understanding what I wanted to do or me not communicating well enough, I'm not sure, but I was kind of pushed towards this product design space. And, you know, I was I was like, okay, this seems interesting. I can still make things. I can still design things. Um, it's not, you know, quite sketching on on tables and, you know, scratching into pencil cases, but I'm getting to get to design and this seems interesting. So I landed at staffs and it was, it was product design technologies. It was known about then 19 years ago. And, um, I got into it and it just wasn't for me. I was bored from day one, really. Um, you know, we were designing like, well, I mean, maybe I, I've got this picture in my head that we were, but maybe we weren't, I'm not sure, but it was like dehumidifiers and computer mics and really boring things that for me at that time, I just wasn't really interested in. And, you know, even more interesting things like design this car, I was just like, oh, I just felt like it wasn't really for me. And I guess this this um, urge to to leave marks um, it kind of stayed with me and I was slowly getting more and more into graffiti in the background and street culture and stuff like that. So moving up to Stoke, um, it was only 25 miles up the road from where, where I grew up, but moving up to Stoke, bigger city, and I started getting out there and, and graffitiing more and more, putting up stickers, tagging and stuff like that. And um, again, unwillingly knowing, uh, you know, not knowing really that this was typography really and um, there was a way into design and, and, and stuff like that. So through my first three years of product design, I was kind of doing this stuff on the side, um, out, out and about on the naughty, kind of running around town in the in the darkness of night, uh, putting my name up. And um, I was also kind of getting into um, local music scenes and doing uh, gig flyers and show posters and stuff like that. Um, so I was doing a lot of hand-drawn type again, and um, it kind of sparked this joy in me. And I was like, this is actually kind of what I want to do. So. It was actually through a friend who I who I saw they were doing graphic design. I was like, that work actually looks kind of what I'm doing over here in, in some kind of ways. And I felt like there's an affinity there. So um so yeah, I I I failed after three years of product design. Actually wouldn't let me complete the course. They said, No, like you're just you're clearly not in this and you're just clearly not never gonna be a product designer. Which ironically now I like I love the the idea of being able to design products and stuff like that. But anyway. Um and I begged my way onto the graphic design award, um, and they reluctantly let me in and said, yes, um, obviously I didn't have the best track record at uni. And they said, you've got to start from scratch. You've got, you've got to go again. And, um, and, um, yeah, I remember my first day starting again, year one, three years into uni and thinking, oh my God, like, is this the right thing to do? And I was surrounded by 18 year olds and I was a 21 year old and it felt like this chasm of like maturity. So. Yeah, I just got my head down and I thought, okay, this 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 is for me now. Thinking on your time in education as a whole, do you have any sort of standout moments that maybe were kind of helped you blossom into what you are today? It's a good question. Um, I mean, discovering discovering like the the print rooms, um, unique stuff like that, where we could screen print, and we didn't have any letter press, unfortunately, but kind of getting on into tactile. Um, methods of creating things again it sparked this this innate feeling inside me that I kind of always had of you know this analog mark making so I was naturally gravitating towards those kind of um, areas of creativity and it did go into letterpress and I was looking for letterpress houses and just anywhere I could get my hands dirty and, and get inky and, and stuff like that was I guess a, um, a defining factor in how I approach design and approach process and thought about how to, how we can make things 
in a really traditional sense. And I guess it was alongside the rise of um, especially digital design and, and design for the web and, and responsive design and stuff like that. And, and, you know, for a long time, I didn't really consider design for screen as something I was really interested in. Um, until really I graduated and I was a couple of years in, I, I really wanted to make things that were physical. Um, maybe that was the product design, you know, influencing me, I'm not sure, but I loved the tactility of, of making real things. Um, and that, yeah, I guess spawned from that moment where I discovered the print room over the road from the design studio at, at the Stoke campus on College Road. So that's definitely something that kind of stood out. And then another is... Um, I guess, I guess Vicky Shields as a tutor um, in, in our second year, she came in and I guess the first year of any degree, you're kind of coddled to, to, to an extent and your hand is being held, you're new and you're kind of fresh as a daisy and um, you know your tutors look after you. And then we had Vicky come in and I remember, I remember it so clearly. She was just, just no holds barred, just giving brutal feedback after brutal feedback session to everyone in there and everyone hated her and was like, no, like, like she's wrong and there was this like rebellion. Um, I thought it was amazing because finally we had someone who, not to say the other tutors didn't, but they were great, but we had someone who's given us, you know, the negative kind of perspective on what we were doing. And um, it was really refreshing at that time. And it really taught me how to think about um, how I assess my own design work in a really critical way. And um, I think everyone else soon kind of calmed on. And by the end of the year, everyone was like, Vicky, you're our favorite tutor. You, you know, no bullshit. You tell us how it is, and it was really refreshing. I think I kind of really needed that at that time. Uh, really constructive way to to critique. Um, so that that really stood out. Um, and by this time, I was kind of yeah four years into the award, uh, into my sorry, into my time at uni, and I, I needed that kind of real world kind of perspective on what I was doing because in my mind, I was just ready to get out there. And that kind of checked me a little bit to say, hey, you're not quite ready to to get into industry just yet you know, hold your role a bit. Um, so yeah, it, it just gave me a bit of a reality check, which was, which was much needed and, um, yeah, perspective on design and, um, that I didn't necessarily have before. So, um, yeah, uh, as we were mentioning, uh, you mentioned the fact that in your, as you were going through, you sort of felt the fact that you maybe weren't ready for uh, Wilbur experience and that was sort of another question that I was going to ask you afterwards but from graduating I understand your first position was at a company called Eremus Partners and from the beginning you were working for clients like Coke on things like Relentless and Powerade did you ever feel that sort of you jumped in at the deep end a little bit too early or I mean yeah you're right when I said before that I thought I was ready and I wasn't and that reality check made me just like pause a bit and one of the things that made me think, okay, I need a little bit more to, to be ready for the outside world is I'd seem to get into, into as many internships as possible and as many placements here, there and everywhere I could. So, you know, I'd had one by that point in my second year and, um, I was like, okay, I'm just keen for more. So every, you know, holiday, every break, every, every moment I could Christmas, Easter, you know, the, the summer break, I would be calling people up, emailing studios, going, can I just have some experience with you? And I was really fortunate enough to work with some amazing studios in Manchester and Nottingham in London, all the way through my like second and third year. Um, I did internships at the likes of Studio Output and Vivid in Manchester and Sarge Design in London and really kind of got myself out there um, and got that real world experience. Um, so by the time my kind of first role came about, um, 
it's actually a the company's called Erasmus Partners. Um, so um, just yeah, a little note there. But as soon as, when that came around, I kind of, I did feel ready. You know, um, I I was I was I was so keen. You know, by the time I graduated, it was six years in school. I'd had this taste of real world experience and I was ready to jump into that deep end. I was ready to be thrown in. I was like, give me all, all that you got, like test me. I'm, 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 I'm ready. And I also kind of felt behind, you know, cause I'd done three years, wasted them and started again. So I was, you know, all the graduating class for three years younger than me. And I was just like, shit, I'm 24. Um, I've got, I've got to crack on. I've got, I've got to, I can't be scared. I've got to go. Um, and I'd lined up a bunch of internships after, um, I'd graduated and. I was lucky enough to be published in Graphic Magazine, um, which is no longer around, but at the time it was like probably the foremost um, print publication on graphic design in the industry. And I had a six page talent feature uh, where they showcased my work, asked me a few questions, and it was published in the May of 2010. And it was right when, you know, people were graduating and going to look out there uh, for, for jobs. And I got a call from a recruiter. Um, and at this point I had no, no idea recruiters existed. A call from a recruiter saying, Hey, seen your work in this magazine. Do you want a job? And I just said, yes, please. Um, I was living in Stoke and, uh, they were like, right. Interviews next week. It's in East London. It's in Shoreditch. Um, it's at this place called Erasmus and, um, yeah, like let's, let's lock it in. So I went down, I had a chat, they gave me a paid design task, which was um, you know, almost unknown then, let alone now. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, by the end of May, I was, I was employed. I was, I was like, right, I got moved down to London. I was doing Monday to Friday down there and weekends in Stoke. So I was really in this deep end of not only work, but life, uh, trying to figure it all out. And, um, I remember the first, the first three months of that job was an insane learning curve compared to the, you know, last three and six years at uni. Um, I learned so much so quick. Um, I learned everything from, you know, what an account director does and what a producer does. And it sounds crazy to kind of say that because it's it's so obvious when you're in the industry, but coming out of fresh art graphic design, let's assume I'd be in a room with other graphic designers and that's what everybody did in a graphic design or creative uh, studio. Really green, really naive, but but I had to learn quick. Um, and yeah, thrown on big accounts, relentless energy drink. It was the the founding client as for the agency. We did everything for them from packaging design to website design to all their campaigns, TV ads, all the print stuff that you see you saw in the stores, everything. Um, and I was a junior designer and a small design team of like three or four, five, maybe max, including the creative directors and so on. And they were just like, Okay, this is the brief, crack on, make it happen. And I had to learn so, so quick. I think I was again like a month or two in and they were like, right, we've, we started this new, new line of merchandise for the brand. We, we want you to design a snowboard. And I was like, oh, cool. This sounds great. And like, we need to design by the end of the day. And I was like, shit, like, I have no idea where to start, what to do. Um, the whole design direction for relentless at their brand at the time was really complex, like collage photography style, like layering, layering on Photoshop. And I just, right. I'd like, let's crack on and figure it all out. And I did, it's still like in my portfolio now, cause it, it kind of reminds me of that time, but design this snowboard, um, and the ECD in there was like, oh, it's one of the best bits of design we've ever produced. I was like, amazing. You know, so really, really, you know, threw myself into, into that job and into work and just trying to figure it all out. And, and then I remember a couple months later when my 
um, or when everybody's, um, you know, degree results were kind of announced and everyone got their marks. Uh, I was lucky enough to get first. And they were, I remember announcing it to the team, oh, I got first. And I'm like, oh, well done, crack on with work. You know, no time to celebrate. We've got, we've got deadlines to hit. Um, and it was really, this really unceremonious moment. And I was just like, okay, like you're at work now, you know, um, crack on, get involved. Um, you're not a student anymore. That life's behind you. So threw myself in, but was, was enjoying every single moment of it. Do you think that, um, cause obviously at one point you're a lecturer as we'll get on further down the line. Do you think that university courses do enough to sort of prepare the students for the world of work as opposed to, cause me and my girlfriend will talk about it a lot and we'll just say, you know, the things that we did in uni half of the time, it kind of like, you'll get months, as you mentioned, you'll get months to do a project, but then in real world, it's like, can you have it done by the end of the day, X, Y, Z, you know, do you think they do enough to, to really prepare them? Um, I think they definitely do more now. I think, you know, 15 years ago, it probably wasn't the case as much that there was that much preparation. Um, it was much more focused on craft and especially for design ideation and, and, you know, stuff like that. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty close with the, the current, um, you know, award leader on graphic design at staff. They came down to visit BBH actually last week, just for like a, a run through with the second years. And he's, you know, he's talking to me about, um, this is John Hudson talking to me about kind of what they're doing and you know, different areas looking into how they're incorporating this and that in, into it. And it does seem much more broad now because the realization is there that just given um, you know, students and graduates craft skills isn't enough. Um, there has to be this, this understanding of, of how the, the companies work, how the businesses work. Um, so you can learn how your place in it and how you can contribute to that effectively. Cause that's essentially what we're there to do. Solve problems through design, provide solutions through design. Um, but we can only do that if we know what's happening and, and how the machine works. And as you work in bigger agencies, obviously the machine gets bigger and, you know, you learn design isn't at the center of that universe and, you know, you have to, you have to figure that out. So. Um, you know, yeah, it's beyond just emerging technologies and emerging crafts and emerging, you know, uh, places design can live. And there definitely, um, there definitely is from my experience, but there definitely could always be more, um, same for if you're going to be a freelancer as well, right? Like I dove into freelance, um, at, you know, a few points in my career and I had to figure all that out as I went, I had to figure out how to do a self-assessment I had to figure out, you know, whether it's cash accounting versus a limited company, all of these kind of things, you know, um, I had to kind of, I had to kind of build as I, as I, as I go and a lot of YouTubing and stuff like that. And if there was a, a moment on the course that, that was, it was a check-in on these things, it would have been really helpful. But as you mentioned, like the, the timing aspect of everything is, I think is a real shock to most graduates come in, you know, we've, we hired a, um, a graduate out of, um, Lincoln this, this year, and he's, he's an incredible young designer. Um, but yeah, going from, I think going from 12 weeks to have something completed or you have three or four things as max over the course of that time to say, well, we need this inside the next six hours. It's just a bit like a, whoa, okay. It's a, it's a real reality, you know, check and an adjustment. Um, and yeah, some of us, I've spoke with him about here and there, but I know as well, like courses do like one day briefs and they get industry in and it's spoken about, but you're never really going to be able to, you know, um, recreate it until you're in the industry i think yeah yeah on a, on a side note I, I believe john listens to these uh, i know jim does i don't know if you had jim jim listens to these religiously. Indeed, yeah. yeah he listens to these like religiously every time i see him it's when's the next one when's the next one so okay well <laughs> hi jim um, yeah jim made me um 
he was the one who made me fall in love with typography. Yeah, um, I was going to ask. I was going to ask. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember Jim actually said just before I left, one of the last things he said to me while I was, um, and I caught with him a few weeks ago at New Blood um, for the first time in years, but one of the last things he said to me when I graduated was, never lose your love for letters. And it's always stuck with me, and it's always probably one of the first things I go to when a new brief comes in. I was like, how can we, you know, get some beautiful typography in this? What's the type angle? And, you know, as designers, that is probably our most valuable tool, right? So um, it was it was amazing being told by Jim, and he'll always be like, yeah, one of those mentors for me. So yeah, jumping forward a few years, as I briefly kind of mentioned, you returned back to staffs as a lecturer for a time on the advertising course. What sort of shifted things back to education for yourself? Um, it was totally unexpected. I'd never planned or even thought to myself, hey, you, you know, you're going to dabble in lecturing or anything like that. Um, I was actually with John Hudson, who was on that award at the time as one of the lead lecturers. Um, we're on the train back from, I don't remember what, something in London, some event, some design thing. And we were just shooting the shit, the shit, having a chat. And um, he was like, oh, hey, you know, we're looking for someone to jump in on the advertising and brand management award just to kind of help out, give the, you know, the designers, uh, sorry, the, the students a few pointers on design. Um, maybe come in and just do like a guest lecture. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm up for that. Like, why not? Um, and then just kind of spiraled. Like, I think it started with one guest lecture and they were like, do you fancy doing this every week? And I was like, oh, yeah, like, we'll see, see where that goes. And then before long, I was, you know, employed by the uni and I was there running modules and marking work and, uh, you know, it was an incredible experience, incredibly re rewarding to, you know, I had, I was there for four years in the end and I had like one full, you know, um, run of students from first years all the way to third years. Um, still, as, as I understood it, one of the most successful years of students in terms of awards and stuff like that and, and where they've gone into the industry, which was incredible to be a part of. Um, and it was an incredible learning experience just for me professionally, like beyond the rewarding aspect of de helping develop young young minds and, and teaching design, but but also how I learned to communicate with young young people. Um, you know, essentially thinking of a class of thirty students as my team. How do I get the best out of every single one of these these students, and how do I get them to understand what I'm saying? I, how do I articulate certain things in a certain way? Um, and it was almost that this fast track uh, course to kind of creative direction and understanding that um, I'd never really, again, had to do that. I had to be a creative director. I mean, I was only three years into my my career, right after graduating, so I was nowhere near being a creative director, and I was just used to taking direction. So I was like, oh, now I'm I'm flipping it, and I, there was a certain aspect, a certain amount of, of learning on the job, but but yeah, it was it was. It was it was huge for learning how to basically direct others. Um, so total total chance spark and movement to education, but um, really glad I did it and yeah, had some amazing experiences and um, worked with some really amazing talent. And it's it's amazing to see them out in the world now. And the great thing about that course is you could have gone in any direction. You could have been a designer. You could have been a copyright. You could have been an art director. You could have gone into accounts if you'd wanted. And you know, obviously, still see some of those students, you know, popping up at some of the world's best agencies and putting work out to the world. And I managed to work with one of them a few weeks ago who left as a copywriter and then she kind of pivoted to a UX designer, um, pulled her in on a, on a digital project we were doing at BBH. Um, and we had a really great catch up. So yeah, it was, it was kind of, it's really great to see that, you know, obviously helped alongside John and Paul at the time, like just, yeah, bring those those students um, into the industry and get, and get them ready. 
incredible experience. So you obviously had your time in London and then you jumped back to Stoke. Um, and from your time as a lecturer, you would stay in Stoke for a number of years, founding two creative agencies and a pizza shop. Uh, what was it like jumping back from London to Stoke, obviously the big city to the small city and just kind of the dynamic there? Yeah, I mean, like I said before, I was I was still, I mean, I was doing Monday to Friday in London and then back to Stoke pretty much every weekend. Um, in my last couple of years at uni, I'd bought a house and in Stoke and I was in a relationship at the time and I was like, okay, I've got to come back up. You know, she was in Stoke and working in Stoke. So there was this constant back and forth. So even when I was at London, I didn't really get to experience London. There was a few, you know, moments here and there where I'd go out for food or, you know, um, being a keen cyclist, like cycling around the city or something like that. But whenever there was that free time, it was always, you know, here and there in the evenings and then at weekends when there would have been more free time, I was in Stoke. So actually like transitioning back to Stoke uh, after that, what turned out there only to be a year in London, um, wasn't too bad. It wasn't too, too much of a kind of a culture shock as it were. Um, as I said, I was working at Erasmus and they, um, they went under, unfortunately, um, so it was kind of like no choice but to move back. Um, and then, you know, it was maybe a couple of months here and there, but I, I, a gap, I guess. But I decided to, alongside uh, a great friend, Alex Farrell, we set up a small studio in Manchester. So again, I was living in Stoke and then back up to Manchester here and there while, while I was teaching and stuff like that. So that was kind of the first um, first foray into setting up my own business and, and whatnot, but I still based in Stoke and... That happened, you know, over the course of three years alongside Alex and we did some great work. We carried on re the relentless work with the guys that I met in London and worked with there um, and a few other clients that came in. Um, but then, you know, I was again still in Stoke, had this this opportunity through a, a great designer who also graduated on, on graphic design a few years before me, kind of approached me about this idea he had for a business, which was in, in retail and... Um, we had this kind of creative edge, you know, it was all, it was all founded and rooted in street culture, which I was still really into still paying graffiti on the side here and there more legal, you know, spaces, like instead of running around like a, a hooded youth in those days. But, um, but yeah, um, he was just like, you know, it'd be in Stoke. I want to do it in Stoke. Um, what do you think about, uh, jumping in and helping? I was like, it sounds great. Like, I'd love to do something for Stoke because, you know, I had an affinity with the city. I think you know, most people do. It's it's one of those places where when you've lived there for a certain amount of time, if you're from there, it's like you would almost like fall on the sword for the place. But if you hear anyone else talking shit about it, you just like hang on, you know, like, I mean, um, so, so yeah, I was like, Stoke is a city that, that needs a bit of love. And if I can do it in this small way, then I'll definitely try that. So ended up op opening this creative retail outfit, which was a streetwear store at the heart of it. And we stocked streetwear brands and skateboarding supplies and graffiti, um, you know, paint and stuff like that. Uh, we had a gallery on the, on the first floor. We had, we had a screen printing studio as well. And we were trying to just build this kind of creative street culture, you know, within the city, putting on murals here and there, you know, all working with the council and local official uh, bodies and whatnot. So, um, we really felt that like this was around 2014, 15. We really felt that was like something happening in Stoke around that time. There was this buzz of entrepreneurialism and we were kind of helping to spearhead some of that, which was an amazing thing. And this was, I guess, you know, a bit of a deviation from the expected path of going through design agency, design agency, design agency. I was just like, 
why not set up my own thing and do the design I want to do and and work with creative minds that are kind of unlike and a bit different. Um, so yeah, that was the first business. And then I was still doing all this like freelance work on the side. Um, and I was getting requests for things that I couldn't really handle myself. So it started to grow that and ended up um, opening another design studio just by myself this time called Weather based down in the old Spodeworks studios in Stoke. And we grew to a team of six doing branding, website design and, and stuff like that. It was amazing, took on some young talent uh, from Manchester, from from um, from Staffs Uni as well. Um, did some great work with the local council, all the local unis, um, loads of art and culture stuff, which was awesome. Um, and then uh, a friend I've known for years was like, oh, I wanna open a pizza place, do you fancy that? And I'm like, I like pizza, why not? Like, let's, let's see what happens there. So um, again, my role was not necessarily making the pizza. I'm not a good cook at all, uh, despite the name. And it was it was more the design and you know marketing level, the interior design. How are we going to build like you know the the creative side of this business? So, yeah, pitched up just over the road from the store in Hanley and renovated another building and and did all the you know design, branding, interiors, marketing plans, and working alongside another couple of amazing business partners uh, on that project too. So. This was all from it. All of these things were like from 2014 to 2017. And um, yeah, an incredible experience to help, I guess, just like all some of this independent, um, you know, seeing stuff um, through Stoke and, and show how design can really be a part of that. Um, so yeah, I have sort of a break point in the middle of every show where I ask uh, all guests the same question. And it's sort of a ripoff of Desert Island Discs, but not really. Um, but I call it the Hall of Fame. And it's sort of the idea that um, if you could put one thing from your career, which has sort of been the real heartbeat of it, be it like a song, a book, a person, uh, anything really that's really been kind of the one main focal kind of launching pad for yourself, what do you think that would be? That's a great question. Um, I think, um, you know, nothing great is made alone, right? And we all need people to help us on that journey and to, to make what amazing things. Um, and, you know, going back to, I said earlier, that point in my kind of first, second year, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm naively ready to get out into the world. And I was kind of had this, this ego that was like, you know, checked by, by Vicky. Um, a similar thing kind of happened in my first role at Erasmus where, um, the the creative director owner of the studio owner of the the, the company at the time Ross Cairns um, uh, came into my professional life and I remember my first meeting with him um, I kind of again I was you know confident went up to him first time I'd seen him he not interviewed me as part of the process uh, but I went up to him and so oh hey you know just tried to introduce myself I'm Andy I started today and he he kind of looked at me up and down and was like I'll have a look at your work later and then turned his back to me and I was like, oh shit, like I just got the cold sh shoulder from the box. It's not a good start. But, you know, his work went on and, you know, I proved myself. Um, we we got really close in, a, you know, in a professional um, professional way, which was amazing. And he's been my mentor, really. You know, the, the one constant throughout my career from graduating. We still work together now. We have done over the years here and there on on lots of different projects with big companies, with small companies. Um, and he has been that, yeah, that person, I guess, which um, has, has been that, that yeah, that North Star for me, helping me shape how I think, how I approach design, not just like core design, but how it works creatively, you know, how, what the strategic 
uh, input is, all of these different things, like just checking in and also, you know, turned into a great friend throughout that time as well. Um, you know, when we go out, we don't just talk about work. We, when we go out for lunch, whatever, we, we talk about how we're both doing and what's going on in our lives and, um, and stuff like that. So it's been a really great relationship that kind of obviously naturally came in through that, that creative director, designer, um, um, dynamic, and he's kind of been around ever since. Sort of in a similar vein, do you have any sort of designers that you look up to, like other designers that you really look up to? I mean, the industry is just full of an absolutely incredible beacon talent, right, from the ages. Um, you know, I look around my house and it's covered in prints and, and, and you know, paintings and stuff like that. I've got some beautiful pieces opposite me from, um, you know, that are all brawn, so it's all Dieter Ram stuff. I've got, I've got, paintings from street artists so the likes of crack and ermsey and these underground kind of you know um art-led uh, graffiti artists um, typographers like anthony burrell um you know they all kind of adorn the walls and kind of you know give me inspiration every day and then again to the textbooks and i get into kind of the the, the details of the work i look at people like you know paula share and and neville Brody and and Adrian Sean Essie and all these kind of like, yeah, amazing icons within the world of design that just help me rationalize my thoughts and have been there and walked the walk and taught the talk for years. Um, they give me ammunition every day to go into meetings to, to pack up how we, you know, me and my team think about design and how we approach design and why this is the right thing to do. And it's all their words, really. I'm just regurgitating all of their amazing insights and input. Um, so yeah, you know, there's some individuals and then agencies like, spin or um you know um or going back into the past agencies like bibliotech and see like all of these amazing studios were around when i graduated that really formed the bedrock foundation for what i thought was like you know beacon of design um i have you know you probably ask someone who's 10 years older than me and they look to places like designers republic and octavo and all these great studios around maybe like 10 15 years earlier than than when i graduated and it just feels like part of that, the momentum. And you probably ask someone who's graduating now and they're looking at agencies like Koto and, you know, again, amazing agencies all doing different things, from moving from like core graphic design all the way through to branding and stuff like that. So there's just so, so many amazing influences out there. Um, but I try to keep it broad, you know, that's why I let art in, I let photography in, I let illustration in. Um, you know, design is such a, a rich landscape of influence it's it's easy to get caught up in that and, and not let yourself get uh, influenced by all these other inputs uh, which we all need right to create different work that is distinctive and stands apart so so definitely design but also from from w w outside of those circles too jumping forward and sort of back to your career um after this you would become the art director um the art director and eventually the creative director for Education First, based in Switzerland. Uh, on your website, you describe this project as your first work that you'd worked on at a sort of global scale. What was it like working on something at this sort of magnitude? Uh, again, you know, in the deep end, learning curve, trying to figure stuff out to an extent. You know, I'd worked on a lot of stuff for Relentless at that point that was that was very national in different markets, you know. Germany, Ireland, the UK, so on, uh, but never really anything on a truly global scale that kind of 
would touch kind of every corner of the earth and moving over to Switzerland um, in 2017 uh, was was a big leap just in general because I was kind of leaving these businesses behind and stoked behind and you know somewhere I'd lived for so long and you know, these things had helped build for this new adventure in a place I'd never been and um, you know for a company I'd never heard of but it sounded like an ace opportunity um, and one of the first big tasks was we're relaunching our brand. We've got this logo from design icon Paul Rand that is the cornerstone of the, the brand identity. And that's the only thing we're keeping. That's the only thing that's sacred. We want to change everything else from our positioning and our our purpose and, and how we communicate it out there. Like and and you're part of the team to to help drive that. Um and I was like, wow, okay, but this is unreal. You know, I'm in I'm in a company of, you know, that's that's a billion dollar company essentially with fifty five thousand employees globally. Um, you know, products in the states, products in Europe, products in China, um, every corner of the earth. Um, they've got some kind of presence through all, all the things that they offer on an educational basis. So it's like this is designed for a good cause. It's a you know it's um, it's it's again it kind of made me think of those days in education myself. Like I know what it's like to be a teacher and how important it is to have you know. I guess a brand that's um, a reflection of the quality you want to bring to the classroom. So an incredible opportunity again, but definitely daunting. Um, you know, flying over to their HQ, their North American HQ in Boston, and working with teams there, and meeting all these new people, and then going over to Shanghai and uh, you know HQ out there, and 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 working with all of these people from a completely different culture again, and 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 making a brand that feels like it would fit all of these different aspects of. Uh, global life and global communities and global culture. It's, um, it, you know, it took a couple of years to, to get going really, um, but it needed that. It, it couldn't be something that was, that was rushed. Um, but yeah, global, truly global work, you know, that, that touched people across all these, all, all of these places around the world. And um, it would have been seen by, by, by now, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions, who knows of, of customers, um, um, here, there, and everywhere. And you know, I went to Miami on on a break this year, and they've got a campus there. And driving past and seeing the work, like up as the signage, I'm like, amazing. Like it's it's not just something that lives on a you know PDF or just lives for like um, you know a few months or even a couple of years. It's something that six, almost seven years later, it's it's um, it's out in the world. It's real. It exists and it, and it works. Um, so yeah, and absolutely incredible feeling really to 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 have been able to produce something that i know and you know obviously it's not by myself or an amazing team to produce it but um being one of the people just really driving that forward on that team was was amazing if i was to this might be a massive curveball if i was to ask you because just the idea of creating kind of a global brown brand like that seems mental to me there's very few brands that i can even think of that do that maybe you know nike and things like that if i was to ask you how do i make a brand which is global and kind of you know all the visuals and things touch everywhere on the earth because obviously there's different things and red means bad here but then in asian countries it kind of means something that's quite a positive thing how do you go about that yeah um i mean as i said before nothing great is made alone nothing right is made alone it takes it takes a village and in this instance it takes a global village to to get things like this uh, made uh, into existence so we know it's it's going to work and for all those things that you mentioned like semiotically 
colors, symmetrically typography styles, all these different things. It had to work. So there was a reason for going over to Boston and Shanghai so much and, and Zurich and, and working with people all over the company is to make sure it worked. And um, the actual size of the team that all had input and, and, and all fed into this this global system was was massive by the end of it. Um, you know, the, there was at EDF, you know, I was, I was on this central team that um, was responsible for this piece of work. We worked horizontally across the whole organization, but it's also littered with design teams across all the different products and all the different um, all the different regions that all had different needs and, and different wants. And we had to listen to as many of those as we could. Um, like you say, what might work here might not work there. So, you know, we encountered stumbling blocks, we encountered um, issues and, um, you know, we had to try and, and satisfy those needs whilst also not forgetting that, you know, the main thing driving. So like any, you know, brand system that you need to make that has to work across all of those uh, different instances, all those different touch points, online, in print, signage, you know, on products, uh, in booklets, and, you know, um, there were things, there were caveats, there were there were things that broke the system on purpose. Um, but, you know, we had to try and rationalize how all of that worked and why and why, why we needed to do that. So um, that's one of the reasons it took it took so long. It took a couple of years to get, to get out there and get made, and um, it was all, all all because of the outreach. It was all because of, of bringing stakeholders on the journey, and not only like just to listen to them um, and take their their point of view and what they needed into account and make sure it was reflected, but also to make to make sure they were a part of it, not just feel like they were a part of it, make them a part of it, and so there's you know, a key, a key difference in that, like often I think we say, Hey, we need to take the client on the journey and we need to take the stakeholder on the journey. So they feel part of it. There's a difference in feeling a part of it and actually being part of it. And, um, it was the latter that we really needed to do. So when it was released, they, uh, you know, and every design team, every creative, every marketing manager, every person across every team and every product around the EF landscape could feel themselves in it they could see themselves in it and um they would they would be excited to use it and implement it and make it a reality and if if we hadn't done that as much as we did then it might have just something that was done in europe and then you know other people elsewhere would have done their own thing so you know stakeholder engagement and um constant communication is was kind of the key to, to kind of getting that ready and again that was kind of a massive learning curve for me because i'd never done that and i'd always always, you know, had listening essentially as part of like the key part for any kind of design process, but this was just on a, uh, on a completely other level. Um, jumping back, jumping sort of past this and going, um, past your time in education first, you would move back to London from what I understand. And again, this is just all your LinkedIn. I'm just being a nosy cunt basically. Um, and you have brief stints at a couple of agencies, both here and abroad with a client list, including things like Google, Nike and Eurosport. Um, you jump around agencies a lot. Is there a reason for that? Yeah, I mean, I I was one of the few people in in my team at EF when the pandemic hit to lose lose my job, um, and of course, panic set in as it did for most people at the time. And um, I just dived into uh, freelance. I had a few offers. I put out a call on LinkedIn and said, "Hey, I'm looking for work." Like most of the rest of the the industry, and people just threw stuff at me and. Um, it was one of the bus- busiest periods of my life. Um, I was even doing freelance work back with EF and bits of work back with them, even though they've just kind of let me go. So it was all a bit of a weird scenario and I was still in Switzerland, but um, 
you know, I had dribs and drabs for the first six months and I was just kind of taking what I can, right? Taking what I could, sorry, at the, at the time, um, trying to just keep the lights on. Um, and it turned out to be one of the busiest periods of, of my life, uh, working life. Um, and then I kind of settled a bit six months or so after and uh, kind of settled in with RGA. Um, at RGA, um, and by this point, I got far more into digital design than I kind of ever had before, um, which I was really enjoying, especially as it matured as a, as a, I guess, as a medium and as a practice. And they were like, we want to pull you in as a design director, hands-on design director, um, working with a small team on this big project we've got for Google, uh, essentially developing a brand new online tool um, for storytelling uh, for, for visually impaired and blind people. Um, and I ended up spending nine months there. Uh, which I didn't really anticipate, but I love the team. I love the job. Um, they seem to like me. And um, I kind of had this steady kind of ongoing thing again, you know, um, which was amazing. We delivered this project. It took it took that long to deliver. And then I said, like, okay, I'm kind of, you know, ready for the next thing now. And my old ECT in Switzerland had moved to London um, and to Google. And, you know, obviously kept in touch with her and I said, this is what I'm doing. She was like, oh, you know, there might be something at Google in the Creative Lab in London. Do you fancy some time there? And I was like, yeah, okay. Like, you know, it's another opportunity. A little bit like when my friend Rob said, oh, well, I'm opening this this clothing store. Do you fancy? I'm like, yeah, okay. Or my friend Georgie said, I'm opening this piece place. Do you fancy? I'm like, yeah, okay. It just seemed like I just want to kind of take opportunities and, and take that unconventional path. I think it would have been very easy. Well, not very easy, but easier to go, I'm just going to stick at this design agency and leave that design agency and go to another design agency. And, and then kind of have this fairly monotonous career where it's around very like minds who very, you know, all think in a very similar way. Whereas from an agency like RGA and then into the Google creative lab. And then when, you know, an agency from New York in touch, you were like, Oh, do you fancy doing some work for us? I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool. It just seemed like these opportunities have come along and I've always, you know, been wanted us to dive in head first and, and see what it's like and just work with all these different people and all these different ways of thinking. So there's definitely during that period of my life anyway, up until about, you know, almost two years ago, it was very purposeful. I wanted to to work in, in lots of different types of places, go in-house at Google, at RGA, out publicist with Zurich, you know, with Gretel in New York, with Design Studio in London, but with a New York team, like all of these different just moments, three months, two months, a month, six months. But that's A, the freelance life. Um, it's generally what it's like, but also it's like I wanted that by design because yeah, I had all these inputs again that were completely different month to month, week to week, day to day. On your um, your website, you've got a list of goals. Um, are goals something that are important to yourself? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, back when I was younger and in my product design uni days, I didn't really have any goals. Um, I was just enjoying all the fruits of uni life, drinking and partying and, you know, sleeping until noon. And um, I guess I didn't really have any direction and I quickly found that through, you know, pivoting into graphic design and then getting into the industry, having goals kept me focused and kept me on track and, and kept me, kept me, yeah, kept me in check, I guess. Um, so I've got some big goals. I've got some small goals. I've been fortunate enough to tick some goals off the list. Um, so as a, as a motivational aspect, as something that helps just give me a bit of discipline it's um it's, yeah it's really important to me and some of them i might never be able to do like ride the amateur tour or run the big six marathons um i just like cake too much to to really uh, you know be have a serious training program but 
there's still goals and there's still things that I, I aspire to, to, to want to do and want to achieve. Um, one of my old colleagues when I was in Switzerland jokingly kept on calling me an overachiever. Um, but it's because of those goals that, you know, it's helped me get to that place and helped me write a book. And, you know, um, I guess I'm just trying to think of some of the other ones I've chipped off. Oh, there it is. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to read it because I've been working, but I do have it. I do have it. Well, thanks for picking um, it up. No problem. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's that kind of list that's out there and it's it's for the world to see. It's, it's a driving force to help me just achieve those things that uh, you know I want to achieve. So lofty, um, realistic, either or. It's just like I encourage anyone and everyone to just write down what they want to what they want to achieve in life, and then yeah. you make it public. Then suddenly it's like I've got to kind of do this. <laughs> I was going to ask, and this might be a really stupid question, but if you could pick one goal for like your entire life. Would you have one? You, do you have one that you could go to? Just one specific one, and have you done it? I guess as well. From my list, it would still be the first one, which is build a house. Um, and I mean, like from from scratch, right? Pick a beautiful part of the world, design it with an architect. Pick every single square inch of that that house. And be like, I've designed that exact thing from the the skirting board to the the bed to the the beautiful, you know, 60 foot atrium as soon as you walk in, like that's just a dream project for me. Um, it's just a house at the end of the day and, you know, it's, it's material and it's, it's, you know, maybe not as uh, emotional, um, as, as, as it could be. Um, but you know, I've been lucky enough to travel the world. I've seen a lot of places. I've met some amazing people and done some amazing work. Um, but that's like the first thing when someone says, oh, if you win the lottery, what would you do? I'd like build a house. You know, I've just always wanted to do that. I've just always wanted to just, yeah, you know, build my own castle, essentially. Not actually a castle, but you know what I mean? Like, an Englishman's home is his castle. And, yeah, just having that and knowing that it's mine and, uh, you know, it's it's my base and it's it's something that I've plucked out of my head. More of that influence all over through my career, my life. Just I would definitely sleep comfortably at night in that house. Um Jumping back to your career and sort of jumping to the now, you are, as you mentioned, the creative director and head of design at BBH London, which is an amazing agency. Um, what do you think the future holds for yourself going forward? Um, I mean, obviously at BBH, uh, doing some great things and, and helping to build an amazing team alongside all the other creative directors that are there and, um, you know, the ECD and CCO and all of the, the LT as well. So, you know, looking directly into the near future, like continuing to build that that um, design ecosystem within such an incredible agency with incredible incredible heritage um, and really cementing a role for design there. Um, really excited about what that might bring and it's it's relatively unknown, um, you know, in, in many ways. I know what I kind of want to achieve and it's, it's just about, it's just about trying to get there. Um, beyond that, I mean, who knows, right? I never thought I'd open a pizza place. I never thought I'd move to Switzerland. I never thought I'd do all of these things. And it's only through keeping an open mind that um, these things have been able to happen. So um, I might end up in Tokyo. I might end up um, in London. I might end up, you know, back in Stoke. Who knows? I have I have no idea. And I kind of like that. Um, you know, I... I, I not to overshare, but I don't have kids. I, you know, they're, they're not in my in my purview, and I, I like the lifestyle I lead, and I kind of want to 
I want to keep that open to my for myself in the future. So, yeah, um, I've always pictured myself living in the States at some point, but um, it depends if someone wants to pay for my visa and, and help me get there, all that kind of stuff. So, um, but again, keep an open mind, see what comes my way and just always try and be the best person I can be and do the best work I can. Um, as long as I'm doing that, again, it help me sleep better at night. Um, and also whatever I do, just want to make my mum proud and, um, you know, through the work I do and the person I become. So as long as that's in my future, then kind of nothing else matters. I'll sneak a quick question in because I, I didn't write it down, but I've just remembered it. Um, obviously for your career, I assume you've interviewed a lot of sort of student graduates and things. Um, if I was to ask you, What's a good portfolio look like for sort of a graduate, for people, just people that may be listening to this? What would that look like for yourself? Uh, I had the same question the other day when the second year students staffs, <laughs> came down uh, to, to BBH and we, we did a little intro and everything. Um, and this is, you know, just my perspective and it's going to be different if you ask the next CD or another agency about what they want and what they think is good. And um, you know, before I get into my, my personal opinion, I truly believe there's no one way of doing it. There's no right way or wrong way of pointing to the portfolio and presenting work in a certain way. There are certainly more effective ways for for, for CDs who are more receptive to, to a certain thing that they like. But there's no right or wrong. There's no put five projects in and and make you know write three hundred words for every case study. It's all bullshit. It's just whatever you want to be, you know, a portrayal and representation of you as a designer is is the most important thing. Um, and not enough people put their personality into their portfolios. And we don't just hire off portfolios, right? Nobody does. They hire off personality. That's why we go and meet people. That's why we have an interview is to to see what it's like when you're talking across a, a table because you've got to sit with this person eight hours a day, five days a week for years. And, you know, the, the personality aspect is so important. And if that comes out in your portfolio, then you're immediately going to be attracted to, um, you know, people are going to be attracted to you for, for the right reasons. Um, but what I look for in a portfolio itself in terms of the work is is breadth. Um, I'm a proud generalist. Um, I feel like I don't specify in one particular area of design. It's not print, it's not screen, it's not brand, it's not this, it's not that. I want to work across it all. Of course I do. You know, Massimo Vanelli said, if you can design one thing, you can design anything. And I love that. It's like, yeah, I want to design a fucking chair. I want to design a house. Like, why, why the fuck not? And if I see breadths in um, in a graduate's portfolio where they're trying UI design, they're trying motion, they're trying this, they're trying that, then I'm like, great, I can put them on any brief and I know they're going to think about it in a, in a lateral way and they're going to approach it in different ways. But if I just see, you know, someone who's just got core typography and Jim might not like uh, appreciate this answer, but if it's all type, then I'm just going, I'm all I'm going to get is type, right? And I want, it, I want some... I want some image making and I want, what if this could be a website? What if it could be a book? You know, like I want lateral answers to, to, to these problems that come through in brief form. So breadth is really, really important to me. Um, and ideally then depth, right? Like I want to see those individual, individual products go deep into, um, how they could come to life. Um, if you're creating a visual identity for a company, don't just put it on some piece of print and a website and this and that. Like, how can we kind of come to life in really creative and interesting ways to help that company stand apart from its competitors? How can we really celebrate the distinctive assets of that company and so on and so on? So, breadth and depth um, for me are kind of really, really important. Breadth, depth, and personality. Last one doesn't rhyme, but maybe there's, there's a word that does that figure out later. 
Um, and then, yeah, beginning to round off, I ask sort of every question, so every, every person the same question, not every question the same person. Um, it's a little cliche, but it's sort of, if you went back to the beginning of your career, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself? Um, it's probably something that Vicky said, um, um, and she had this knack of um, killing ideas uh, that people truly were in love with at the time. They were like, no, there's no other solution. There's no other answer apart from this that I'm putting in front of you now. And Vicky was like, no, it's not good enough. And we're like, fuck, what do we do? And, and she kept on saying, you, you can't be afraid to kill your babies. And obviously that sounds fairly morbid, but you know, killing those ideas that you fall in love with, that you've birthed into existence, that you've created out of nothing, um, not being afraid to let them go, um, I think is really, really important. I've been so guilty even even now, right, right, where I'm so in love with something, I'm trying to force it and make it work. And you know, we all answer to somebody, even when you're running your own design company, and you're 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 the one fight, you know, as the founder and the creative director, you're still answering to clients. And sometimes it just doesn't land, it just doesn't hit. And sometimes it's not quite right. And you've got to remember that that point where you know there's a balance between fighting for something you believe in and and convincing people and persuading versus going, you know what, just gotta let go and um and and think of something different. So. Remember to kill your babies would be my my number one piece of advice. But again, not in a literal sense. But. Uh, and then super, super, super lastly, where can people find yourself online? Um, my handle for everything social is this is Andy Cook, Cook with an E. Um, I'm pretty sure I got those uh, handles years ago and everything's the same. So if there are any more, this is Andy Cooks out there. They're imposters. Um, and my website is either TIAC.design. This is Andy Cook, TIAC or andycoo.ke, Andy Cook. So, um, so yeah, all my work's on my website and all my ramblings and, and life uh, are on X and Instagram. Quality, that is all then. Hello again, it's just me. Uh, if you, as ever, if you want to find myself online, uh, I am just at Parity Material Everywhere. I don't know when the next one is coming out, as I said earlier, but if it is sort of, after Christmas now, I don't, I don't know. But if it is, Merry Christmas if you celebrate it. I guess. Yeah, I guess I'll, I guess I'll just see you next time. Bye.